0: This coming week, I'll be coaching some future graduates. We start our game portion of our baseball season this week, and if you know anything about our family, that's a big deal right now to us, uh, particularly my, my son, Hank, who is uh, the guy who will be playing in most of those games. And uh, You know, one of the fundamental things, we, we actually will have practice in games and all, and, and I, I find myself repeating over and over one simple fundamental truth, of the game of baseball, that if you ever played or ever coached or ever were around the game at all, you know there's one thing, you must keep your eye on the ball. Pretty simple. Even if you're not a baseball fan, even if you know nothing about the game and you say, I never played, I don't want to play, I find it boring, you probably have heard that statement before, and I'll pray for you if that's the case for you, but you have probably have heard the statement, keep your eye on the ball. Watch the ball. Every time we have practice, whether it's with Hank's baseball team or Nora's t-ball team, which is an adventure all on its own, I'll just tell you, I always tell the kids on the team, watch the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. The main reason for that is that you can't hit what you can't see, and you can't catch what you can't see. The most important thing that any player on the field can do at any time, whether they're in the batter's box or playing defense, is to keep their eye on the ball. Now, that was beaten into my head from the time I was about two years old until I graduated from college. But do you know I struggled with that? My senior year of college playing at Murray State, I played terribly. Just full disclosure. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it and make you think I was something I wasn't. I didn't play well. Not at all. My batting average dropped. I just, I was discouraged. I just didn't play very well. And you know why I didn't hit the ball very well that year? I didn't watch the ball. My hand eye coordination, and maybe you're like this, was such that I could lose track of the ball for the last 10 or 12, maybe 15 feet when the ball's approaching the plate and still make contact, but not make contact well. I, I could take my eye off the ball just enough to make me feel like I'm doing something right but then the result would turn out to be something (laughs) that wasn't very good. And as I think back on that, if I had simply gone back to fundamentals that year, I don't know what would have happened. I certainly wouldn't have gone to the major leagues. I'm a little too small for that, but I might have played just a little better. But I didn't keep my eye on the ball. I I think back to why I didn't. Maybe I just figured I I already had that part down. And that's just so fundamental. You learn that when you're a little kid playing t-ball and why do you need to think about that? Or, or maybe I just took it for granted that because I could still make contact with the ball that I was doing okay, or, or maybe I got lazy. Maybe I just forgot how important it was. But regardless, I kind of drifted from the fundamentals that got me to where I wanted to be and ultimately sort of put a sour taste in my mouth about the way I played that last year. I really believe that, that maybe not with sports, but maybe in other areas, all of us, have drifted, have taken our eye off the ball from time to time, and maybe you find yourself there this morning. We know what it means to keep our eye on the ball in life, in marriage, in parenting, at school, at work, at home, wherever, but maybe you're struggling with that, and you realize, you know, I've taken my eye off the ball. If we're honest, how many days and months... Years have we wasted on things that really are not the ball. <laughs> we're looking at other things. We, we've drifted, our eyes have gone elsewhere, and now we're focused on something that isn't the ball. And you know the results of that. It's frustration. It's disillusionment. It's discontentment. It's a feeling of being ineffective. It, it's having no margin in your life and no breathing room, and you're pressured by all these things that you know are not most important, and yet that's where your focus is. You waste a lot of time and energy and emotion and money even on things that you just say, you know, I I don't really think that's most important, but I'm not sure what to do. I don't even know maybe anymore what's most important. You know, life is no good when you take your eyes off the ball. You've experienced that. I've experienced that. Some of us here this morning say, that's why I'm here. (laughs) I've taken my eyes off the ball and I want to refocus Life is no good when you take your eyes off the ball. You see that in individuals. We see that also in churches. I've been around churches long enough and have enough friends in ministry to know that many churches take their eye off the ball and get caught up in things of secondary importance. I didn't say unimportance, but secondary importance. You know, Jesus told us to go and make disciples. We saw that last week, to be a disciple-making factory, and yet... If we evaluate our own church, and if we evaluate churches just even in our own state, our own convention, how many churches have their energies and their resources going toward other things other than what is primarily important? Did I say unimportant? No, no, no. But secondary importance. How many churches argue and haggle and fight each other over stuff that's not most important? I'll just tell you this, if we're ever going to have an argument, a big knockdown, drag out fight here at Elm Grove while I'm here, I want it to be over whether or not we're going to make disciples. Let's arm wrestle and get in a big pile and let's just figure that one out, all right? I really don't want to argue about the color of the carpet. Now listen, I'm just being honest, nobody said anything about the color of the carpet, I think it's pretty, I have no problem with the color of the carpet. But I am not up for a fight over the color of the carpet, but I'm up for a fight when it comes to making disciples, are you with me? That's what I want, and I hope you do too. I hope you say, I don't want to argue over junk that doesn't matter. Let's let's direct our energy and our time and our resource toward what is most important. I wonder how many churches get caught up in minutiae that would cause Jesus to walk out of a business meeting and say, y'all don't get it. What are you doing? You've taken your eye off the ball. This morning, here's what I want us to do. In the the last message in this series, Easter in the Lord's Own Words, I simply want us to look at the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascends to heaven, and I want us to refocus and imagine just for this morning things being different in your life, things being different in your church experience. Imagine a different life, marriage, parenting experience, church experience, whatever, and imagine being right where God wants you to be. Imagine not taking your eye off the ball Anymore. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. ACTS. It's not a weapon, not AX. A C T S. Acts. Let me give you a little bit of context real quick. Historically, what's going on is Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's been crucified. He's been resurrected. He spent 40 days with his disciples. He's about to leave them and then send the Holy Spirit after his departure. So that's kind of where we'll pick up the story. Now, in a, in a literary context sort of way, this that we'll see this morning forms the introduction to the book of Acts, written by, most believe, uh, Luke, who also, of course, wrote the book of Luke. So it's kind of a sequel. he will reference, as we'll see in just a moment, uh, that he wrote a former book, and now he's writing a sequel to that. What this, this passage this morning gives us is Uh, really how the book of Acts will unfold. We'll see that if you read the rest of the book of Acts. You'll see that this forms just a basic outline. Here's what's going to happen, and that's exactly what goes on. It essentially, the book of Acts, describes for us what happened after Jesus ascended, when the Holy Spirit came, what happened in and through the Christians and the churches in the early days of Christianity. So it's going to tell us the, the what they did and sort of why they did it without limiting us, and this is important to know about the book of Acts, to the how. They did it. It's not prescriptive in every case. It's descriptive. It tells us what. It tells us why. But it doesn't necessarily say go and do likewise in every single situation. For example, if you say, well, the book of Acts is our prescription for the church, then we're doing things wrong this morning. We should be across the street gathered in the parsonage in a home because that's where they met. So understand that we're looking for what they did, not necessarily how they did it, we're looking for the what and the why, and the beginning of that shows us some very clear things. Look with me in verse 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, he's writing to a particular guy, Lucius, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now stop there for a second gives us the introduction here. Luke is telling us who Jesus is and why he's he's writing. So he gives a general recap of the post-resurrection events. Here's what happened. Jesus rose again. He spent time with his disciples up until the day that he left them. He gives general proof for the resurrection, saying he, he appeared to them. What does he say? Presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. We've looked at some of that. He appears to them. He shows them his hands, his feet, his side. He, he, he walks through walls and all kinds of stuff. He eats meals to let them know that he's alive and he's real. And so Luke is telling us that, that here's who Jesus is. And that's going to set up the whole rest of the book. Because Luke does not treat Jesus like our modern world wants to treat him, like he's a fairy tale character. As if, as if maybe he's real and maybe he's not, but even if he is real, he's just a good teacher. He's just a great exceptional man, a good prophet. Luke and the rest of the New Testament writers won't tolerate that whatsoever. You realize that if you read the New Testament the way that these guys wrote it, you can't walk away and truly believe, unless you want to stretch what they're saying, that Jesus was somehow a mythical figure, that that he was just a good guy who did a lot of good things. They write in there that he claimed to be God himself. You can't can't make it both ways. And so we're forced to make a decision about Jesus from the outset of the book of Acts. And maybe today, this morning, is your opportunity, and you say, I'm going to make a decision about Jesus Christ this morning, what I believe about him. All of us are faced with that decision. There can ultimately be no neutral ground on Jesus. He doesn't allow for it. You can't simply say, well, he was a good guy, one of many great religious figures in history. Jesus doesn't allow for that. The Scripture doesn't allow for that. History doesn't and cannot ignore him, and neither can we. Luke presents him at the very beginning as the risen Savior and Lord of the universe. So the choice must be made then from the very outset of Acts. What will you believe? Will you receive him as Lord, or will you reject him? Those are your two options. That's it. There is no middle ground. Now, you may say, well, I'm kind of in process on that. I'm not really sure what I think. Listen, wrestle with that, and I seriously want to encourage you. You go to the Scripture. You examine Jesus. You examine what was said about him before he came. You examine who he was and what he did and what he said while he was here, and you examine what happened to his followers and the movement of Christianity afterward, and you'll be then faced with. I either must receive him as Lord or reject him outright because there is no middle ground. The decision must be made. I'm not here to force you nor can I force you to make some decision about Jesus Christ. But each of us must. Each of us must decide, do I believe he is who he says he is as Luke portrays him as the risen Lord and Savior or will I reject him outright? Those are your two choices. And make no mistake that all of us, based upon that choice that we make, will one day stand before the Lord and give an account. Every single one of us. And so this morning, you must come face to face with the truth about Jesus Christ. According to Luke and the other New Testament writers. The verdict from them is that Jesus was the Lord and Savior of all. And I encourage you not to put off the decision about Jesus Christ. And then we go to verse 4. He gives us the introduction. While he, Jesus, was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's leaving them physically, but he's going to send new power in the form of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, to live in and live through the disciples in a brand new way. And as God would live in and through them, the disciples would begin a movement that is still to this day changing the world. And it started... Right there. Look at verse 6. Now, when they had come together, the disciples here, they asked him, Lord, at this time are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, what a a question. You may think, what in the world are they talking about? These guys were Jewish. Understand this. In, In their thinking, it was inherent for them. They struggled so much with it. You see them arguing over... Who's going to be most powerful in the kingdom and all that? They struggle with the fact that they want Jesus to come and establish an earthly kingdom to conquer everybody who's against them, particularly the Roman Empire, and raise them up to power, Israel ruling the world. That's what they wanted, and that's what they're asking. Is it time? You're alive. Uh, What's stopping you? Death couldn't hold you, so let's go get it. Who in the world can defeat you? None of the Caesars can take you down. Obviously, they tried to crucify you, and you rose again. Let's go. If death can't stop you, nothing can. Let's do it. You see them saying, okay, Lord, we're ready. We're ready to rule. We're ready to crush everybody. Let's go. But as we'll see, what Jesus will tell them is, unfortunately, they're caught up in things of secondary importance. They're caught up in things and wishing for things that God wasn't necessarily thinking they should be wishing for. They're concerned about politics, and they're concerned about their own comfort and safety and their own power and making life easier and so on. All things that for them would have been great, not ungodly and sinful, but it wasn't the ball that God wanted them to keep their eye on. We'll see that as we get to verse 7 in just a moment. But I wonder, have we fallen into the same trap? Are we caught up? And maybe you say, I am, or maybe you say, we are caught up in things of secondary importance that aren't God's primary concern. Some of us are more concerned about the state of America than we are about the kingdom of God. Is it okay to be concerned about the state of America? Absolutely, and you better be. But what's primary importance is the kingdom of God, not our own kingdom. Are we more worried about how culture affects our comfort, our safety, our perceived power in it than we are about the lost souls? that will die and spend eternity in hell apart from faith in Christ. One is not bad, one is not sinful, but it's secondary in what Jesus will tell us. The disciples had taken their eye off the ball, and we have to be careful or else the same thing will happen to us. He had something else in mind that was more important than what they thought about. Verse 7, he says it. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Basically, guys, look, don't worry about all that stuff. You're caught up in something that's not ungodly and sinful, but you don't need to give your primary concern and focus to that. Leave all that to God. You can't know about it. You can't control that anyway. They're in danger here of devoting not only their attention and their curiosity, but their, their, their entire lives, their money, their resources, all their stuff towards something that wasn't the ball God wanted them to look at. So Jesus quickly corrects their thinking. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power. He said, look, don't worry about that stuff, but instead... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He tells them, hey guys, here's what's most important. If you're going to devote your attention, and your energy, and your resources, and your time towards something, and you want to say, I want to hit the ball, I want to drive it out of the park, I want to make sure I don't miss. He says, here's what you devote it to. The other stuff he talks about, verse 6, verse 7, not bad stuff, guys, not ungodly, not sinful things to consider. But let me tell you what's most important, what's primary, is that you be my witnesses, both here, there, and everywhere. And that's what he sends them out to do, to tell his story, to tell their story, by the way that they lived, by the words they said, by the things that they did, by everything and everyone they could. He said, you'll be my witnesses. You know a witness when it's sworn out? I used to watch Perry Mason with my dad. You ever seen Perry Mason? Some of you. Some of you think, what? Perry Mason. Old law, it was before uh, Matlock, before Law and Order. All right. It was good stuff. back. Perry Mason lost one case. He got swindled. He got cheated, I think, out of that one. But anyway, my dad loved Perry Mason. You know, they'd always get the witnesses up there. You swear to tell the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. I so hope you got. I do. And if you have ever been a witness, or ever will be a witness, you will have to raise your right hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Jesus says you guys are to go out and tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about what you have seen and heard and experienced. They were to be witnesses. There's nothing more powerful than a credible witness on the stand. Nothing more powerful, let me tell you this, that will impact the folks that you're around on a regular basis than your changed life because of Jesus Christ. You may bring them to church, they may hear me preach, and you may say, hey, all right, I got them there. But what is really going to impact them is your changed life. Jesus sends them out and says, "Go, put me on display both in and through you. He says to them, look, the stuff that you're concerned with, not bad, not evil, not sinful. But I've got something more for you than your dreams of ruling the world. Instead of ruling it, how about go and change it from the inside out? And that's what he sends them out to do. He gives them what I want to term as our phrase today for Easter in the Lord's own words. Just a general summary of what Jesus is telling them this morning. You may want to write it down so that you remember. Never let what is secondary distract from what is primary. Never let what is secondary distract from what is primary. I'll repeat it just so you know where I'm coming from. I'm not talking about the secondary things of wondering about, Lord, when are you coming back? What's going to happen? Lord, how should I be an influence and so on? Those things are not bad and evil. Now, some things we get caught up in certainly don't help us. But Jesus is just simply telling them there's something primary that you better not take your eyes off of. And for us, the truth is the same. Never let what is secondary distract from what is primary. Now, just like the disciples, we're extremely prone to this. How many of us this morning, if we were willing, would admit that, you know, our lives and our schedules and our minds and our money and our emotions and our energy are often given to things that are not the most important thing. If I were to take a show of hands this morning, we'd all have to say at least one of those from time to time is true. And if you didn't, then you're a liar. And we'd know you're a liar, and we'd throw you out of church forever, right? No, we would just say, look, I've been there. I don't want to admit it either. But isn't it true? That's what we do. We give our attention and our stuff to, to things of secondary importance. Jesus here tells us there is only, and don't miss this, there is only one thing of primary importance. There is only one. It's the kingdom of God and its expansion. That's it. You you can get caught up in a lot of other things in life. But when you come back to the scripture, what was Jesus about? What did he tell his disciples to be about? What did he send them out to do? There was one thing over and over. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. He sends them out. You'll be my witnesses. And he talks here about the kingdom of God. Go out and expand it and do all you can influence the world for Jesus Christ. That is the one thing of great and primary importance. Everything else is secondary. Now, I hope that frees you up just a little bit. I hope you say, now I see the ball. Now I see the ball. Now, I'm not sure what to do about it. I don't know if I can hit it, but at least I see the ball. Jesus holds it up for us and says, here's what you, as a follower of Christ, need to have as primary importance in your life, and that is the expansion of God's kingdom. To be about leveraging yourself for God's glory in His kingdom, that is of primary importance. It's expanded. Jesus would send them out, and it would be expanded through the faithful testimony of those who have experienced Jesus. The ball is the kingdom of God, and our eyes must remain on it, whatever we do, wherever we go, here, there, everywhere. Jesus then gives them, very briefly, this geography lesson. He says, here's what you guys are going to do. You are going to tell this story, and you're going to be the facilitators, the guys through which God will expand his kingdom. You're going to be these guys by being witnesses, he says, first in Jerusalem, right there where they were, to the people that were close to them, those with which they had the most in common. Those that they probably knew personally. And the book of Acts unfolds in the first seven chapters. Guess where they take the kingdom of God? Jerusalem. And then he says, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and all of Samaria. Their surrounding areas. Maybe they knew those folks. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they liked them. Maybe they didn't. But God, Jesus tells them here, you are responsible to and for them. Beginning in chapter 8 through the first part of chapter 11, guess where they go? Judea and Samaria. And then he says, you'll be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth, to the ends of the known world, the limits of what you can imagine. And God would burn in them individually and collectively a desire to see all the people that they could reach come to faith in Christ. And from the middle of chapter 11 through the end of the book of Acts, when Paul is heading toward Rome with his eyes on Spain, that's what we see. It unfolds as the Spirit of God drives them from where they are, both to minister here, there, and everywhere. And so we see that in the disciples. And you'll see there on your bulletin, there's some blanks to fill in about you. I don't want to allegorize the Scripture this morning and make it something that it's not, but I believe there's application that you and I can make. If we look at what the disciples were meant to do, to go here, there, and everywhere, what can we equate with those things in our lives individually? You may equate something different, but I want to give you some points of application this morning. You'll see that. What is the geography lesson for you? If you look at home, I want to equate, here rather. I want to equate that with your home. Where where are you? Quite often, if Jesus is giving you this geography lesson, and you say, "Well, I'm here. Here's home. I wonder what's your plan for your home? What's your spiritual plan for your family and for your children?" Is God's kingdom expanding in your home? In your thinking, your speech, your values, the way that problems are solved and decisions are made? Is God ruling those things? What about in your attitudes and your behaviors or in your choices regarding the influence of culture through whatever kind of social media or television you allow in your home? Which kingdom is expanding and ruling in your home? Is it the kingdom of this world or is it God's kingdom? You say, well, I don't know that I have much influence. You live in a home, and odds are you have somebody there with you or you have folks that you have influence on in your family. What about your home? That's your here. Is your eye on the ball of God's kingdom or are secondary things distracting you? Have it allowed work or money or time or busyness or just activities to take your eye off the ball and you look at your marriage, you look at your parenting, you look at your family and you say, we're missing it. I just want to encourage you this morning. You may say, I don't know how to hit it, but Lord, refocus me on the ball. God, put my eyes back on the ball this morning. Help me to see my responsibility, to see your kingdom expanded in my home to the best of my ability. Lord, I'll leverage myself toward that. Fight for what's most important in your home. He, he also sends them there. And I just simply want you to write the word routine here and there, and I realize in our congregation this morning, we've got folks of various stages of life. Some are just getting started, as we saw in our graduates, with a new phase of life, college or work or whatever it may be. Some are retired. And you say, I, I, I don't go to work anymore. That's why I didn't put work down here. Some are right in between. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or or you, you, you have a, a certain... Routine. I, I figure we all have something that we do on a regular basis. While you're out there, what's your routine? Is your eye on the ball as you do those things that are a part of your daily routine, whether it's school or work or playing on a team or just going to the grocery store or whatever it may be? Or are you focused on secondary things that may not be evil but may distract you, like how much money you make? Or whether or not you get promoted or appreciated or valued at work? Or whether your grades are absolutely perfect, and if you make a B, the world shatters for you. Or whether in a, your, your routine is interrupted. You know, how dare some people to cut you off in traffic. Or to spend too much time in line at Walmart. I wonder, are we taking the kingdom of God? And they do that, don't they? Isn't that irritating? They do that, and I wonder when we are in our routine. Do we have in focus the ball? I'm here, I'm sent by God to expand His kingdom. Instead of taking over the world and just wishing everybody would do things your way, and secretly we all wish that were true, I wonder if we'd leverage ourselves to be more concerned just about changing our there, our routine. And then finally, for you everywhere, I just want you to write the word dreams. You say that sounds a little bit odd, but listen to it, hear, hear what I mean. Everybody here has some vision of what your life will be like next, whatever that may be. Maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's next week, maybe it's 30 years from now, maybe it's just next month, I don't know. But you have some vision, some dream of what you anticipate will be. I wonder this morning how many of those dreams have been birthed by God. How many of those dreams have to do with keeping your eye on the ball, not that the things you're thinking about are bad, but how can I do those things for the purpose seeing God's kingdom expanded. Would you be so bold this morning as to pray, Lord, you know what I'd love to do. You know what I imagine my tomorrow being, but Lord, would you birth a dream in me, just like you did in these disciples, to see people everywhere come to faith in Christ. Maybe you just pray, Lord, send me. Maybe if it's just down the street, but Lord, send me, use me in whatever way that you want. And then for us, The geography lesson for us, if we think about our here, here at Elm Grove Baptist Church, where are we located? Well, that's Murray and Callaway County. I wonder, do we have a vision for what it will take to see our community truly transformed? You know, it's really easy, I believe, in our community because it's so great. And I really mean that. I don't mean it facetiously. It's a great community with great people, with loving people and friendly folks. The friendliest small town in America. But you know what that can do to us? It can lull us to sleep thinking, as I mentioned last week, that everybody's okay. Well, I grew up in Murray, Kentucky. It's sort of a religious kind of place. It's a friendly kind of place. Don't let Satan lull us to sleep here at Elm Grove on what really needs to happen in our community. We don't need just more friendly people. We got plenty of those the friendliest in all of America. (laughs) We ought to be proud of that. What we need are more people who are sold out to Jesus Christ, leveraging their lives for Him in everything that they do. Those folks will be friendly because Jesus was friendly. He was loving. But they'll also have their eye on the ball, and I pray. I pray that that'll be true of our church. Let me tell you a goal that I have. And I'm going to throw these things out here and We'll see what happens. I have a goal that for here in Murray and Callaway County, that we as a church, by the, by the beginning of September, that's just a few months away, that we would implement a long-term strategy for the intentional discipleship and evangelism of people in Murray and Callaway County. I don't know how many people we're talking about. I don't have any goals that we're going to increase our attendance by this and that. I just want us to implement a strategy of intentional discipleship and evangelism for the people in Murray and Callaway County by September. You say, I'm not sure about that. That's fine. I just hope that you'll get on board and say, you know what, that seems like what we ought to be doing as a church is to be intentional about discipleship and evangelism in our community. That doesn't discount any of the people that are here. That includes all of us. But it also includes a vision for our town, the here that God has given us. And then our there. I I think of our there as North America. I could say Kentucky, I could say the Jackson Purchase area, but I think that if we look at where our focus needs to be, it needs to be a little broader than that. God's focus is obviously extremely broad. And here's my goal. As it pertains to North America, my goal is that by this time next year, we will have already sent out a team of people, whoever wants to participate, to do some sort of mission trip here in North America, for the purpose of seeing God's kingdom expanded. By this time next year, I don't know where, I don't know how, I no idea. But as God was dealing with me on this sermon this week, I just thought, we've got to do something about here, and we've got to do something about there. And let's get intentional about it. You say, I can't go, that doesn't matter. You can pray, you can leverage, you can help folks, you can help us do it. And then our everywhere, you say, what do you mean everywhere? I, I say the world. You say, we're just little old Elm Grove Baptist Church in Murray, Kentucky. And I say that's garbage. Garbage. I say, praise God for the little old Elm Grove Baptist Church in Murray, Kentucky, who's got people that love Jesus in it, that are some of the friendliest people in America, who want to see God do something in our world, and I guarantee you'd be excited to be a part of it. You say, What about us? I say, let's go. Here's what I'd love to see within two years. Within two years, these are arbitrary numbers. It may happen sooner. We don't have to wait two years. I want to see us double our giving international missions. I want to see us double it from where we are right now. You say, well, are you going to come around and take another offer? No, no, just within two years. I want us to double. I want us to give like we've never given before to international missions, to see God reach people all over the world. And within those two years, two goals for that, within those two years, I want to see us send out a team of people somewhere outside of North America to reach folks with the gospel. You say, "Oh, I don't know. I don't either. be honest with you, I have no idea how all this stuff's going to happen. You know what? The the how is not important. It's the what and the why. And those things to me, as I read the scripture and I consider where we are as a church and individuals, I just say, that's the ball. Let's keep our eyes on the ball. So this week, what do you do now? Oh, that's two years from now. That's, That's a year from now. That's five months from now. What do we do this week, Let me give you just two things to remember. You've already got the idea that you aren't to, to, to give primary importance to what's secondary and so on. Let me tell you this. This week, don't waste your life on what has secondary importance. Don't do it. Make a decision this morning. Don't waste your life on what has secondary importance. You say, I'm doing good things. You may be doing good things. But let me tell you the second part. Give your very best. Give your best to what has primary importance. Don't waste your life on what's secondary. Those things are great. Those things may be wonderful. They may help you in life. But don't give all of your best to those things. Give your best to what has primary importance. Keep your eye on the ball as individuals and as a church. As we finish the series, Easter in the Lord's Own Words, I hope that we crescendo and we move forward to doing what Jesus told those disciples to do, to be his witnesses here, there, and everywhere. Let's pray together decision to be made this morning on what you will believe about Jesus Christ we see that from the very beginning of Acts chapter 1 and then what will you leverage your life toward will it be what's most important or what is of secondary importance would you spend some time with the Lord this morning and let him Work in your heart and reveal to you those decisions that this morning need to be made. I'm not going to force you or coerce you or call you out or make you stand up and say something. But would you this morning deal with Jesus Christ and what he has called you to do and the ball that he has called you to focus on. And then when you get up tomorrow and you go to work, you say, my eyes are on the ball. Yeah, I still got to do this job. My routine may not change, but I've got a different focus. I'm about the kingdom of God, not about my own. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that even when it challenges us, and stretches us, as it's done for me this week, and Lord, as I'm sure it is for many this morning, God, even in those times, we thank you for it. We thank you that you have seen it fit not to leave us where we are, but to continue to call us forward. Help us, Lord, this week to keep our eye on the ball of the primary importance of the kingdom of God and leverage ourselves, giving our very best to that this week so that the things of secondary importance, Lord, can be now honoring and glorifying to you, be used by you in incredible ways. Lord, give us your vision. Birth in us your dreams for our individual lives and for the life of this church thank you Lord that you not only give us the dreams but the empowerment to see it happen we thank you for your Holy Spirit we pray in Jesus name